Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 266. Hello and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name, as I said, is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week for The Pre-Med Years. If you are new to listening to the Premed Years, listening to podcasts in general, you're in for a treat. There are four other amazing podcasts that you as a premed can listen to. We have old premeds podcasts, which even if you're not a non-traditional student, there's a lot of great information there for you. We have the MCAT podcast to help you study and maximize your score in the MCAT. We have specialty stories which will help you figure out what career you want to go towards. And we have Ask Dr. Gray pre-med Q&A, an almost daily short Q&A podcast to help you be a better pre-med. Today, I have a great story of a student who overcame a lot of obstacles, coming from a military career, learning how to be a pre-med, figuring it all out, and now being a successful pre-med. So let's go ahead and dive in, say hello to Dylan, and we start by talking about what led him into wanting to be a physician. Honestly realized uh, maybe four and a half years ago is what what I'd say. I had thoughts about it, um, you know, growing up, but not not really seriously, and uh, maybe originally thought I might have wanted to be a chiropractor, truth be told, when I was like 18. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, not one of oh, those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to bash <laughs> any profession, but, um, you know, I grew up in like a regular house while my mom um, owned a massage school. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was brought to, I mean, we went to, you know, actual doctors as well. It wasn't like we went to chiropractors for anything other than what chiropractors do. But um, yeah, that, that was an original thought of mine, but um, I always wanted to join the military and went to college for a couple of years and really stepped on my toes and then decided that the right thing was to pull out and, and join the military. What do you mean stepped so, on your toes? Um, well, I, we've done a, a mock interview and 
I looked at my transcript again from AMCAST right before we started this, and I had three Fs and a C in my first semester. So I distinctly remember my GPA <laughs> being 0.67, like 0.67. It's killing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I killed some things, but yeah. not, not classes. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, so that was your first semester. Yes. How'd you do yep. your second semester? I got two Bs and two As. So, I, I mean, I got myself off academic probation, like, you know, the, the bare minimum, basically. What happened? And I just did it. I actually started going to class. That was the starters. I mean, uh, <laughs> when I say I stepped to my toes, I mean, I really um, should not have been in. What I say now is I should not have been in college at the time. You know, it was I didn't have like the drive to be there or any real sense of purpose. Um, you know, I was just kind of floating through. It was like the next thing. Well, we finished high school, so let's go to college. But you obviously turned around the second semester. Why? What flipped in you? Um, well, I did. I thought getting, you know, kicked out of just a regular state school would be a really bad thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was taking loans out for all of it. So it was like, yeah. um, you know, I can't just continue to do what I was doing. Um, <laughs> well, you could. So, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that is an option. Yeah. <laughs> um, at what yeah, point it, did you realize like, okay, I really shouldn't be here. I'm going to, I'm going to go join the military. Um, well, I did find that next semester and then, you know, the, the subsequent fall semester, uh, I don't recall what my grades were. They were, you know, middle of the road, like three point something. And, um, and then in the spring semester, um, I withdrew halfway through, I think right before spring break, something like that. And I just had a real self-assessment and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to turn 20 this year. And if I don't join the military now, you know, I think I'll always regret it. So I pulled out and got ready to enlist and took the summer to like myself to get myself ready and then uh, joined in August of 2007. What did you enlist to do? So I enlisted in the army um, as what they call like an 18 X-ray. So like a special forces candidate. And um, so I went to infantry school, airborne school, went to assessment and actually broke my foot in assessment. And um, at this point, the, the army recruiting was wild. It was right in the surge of Iraq and, and getting ready to surge in Afghanistan a couple years later. So they couldn't hold me around to rehab. So I was going to go to just the line is what you call it in the army, but just a, you know, a line unit, just an infantry guy. And that terrified me just because I saw the way those guys worked. And, you know, I was a private in the army and, um, I really didn't want to do that. And the explosive warrants disposal recruiter came by and, was looking to sign people up and fill their classes <laughs> before the end of the fiscal year, you know, because <laughs> this was, you know, just about a year later. So the end of the fiscal year, trying to fill the classes and my buddy signed up and he said they have small units. They get like a civilian clothing allowance. Um, I think there are some special pays and you can go down to Florida for a year to go to school. So I said, all right, let's do that. <laughs> Florida, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. EO um, EOD, dismantling bombs. Yeah, let's go to Florida. Right. So, I, I mean... Yeah, this was before The Hurt Locker came out. Um, so I don't know if any of your listeners have seen that movie, but it's not like that movie at all. But um, <laughs> I really did not know what I was getting into. Uh, but it was a great, you know, I guess I'm not a big believer in fate, but I guess everything happens for a reason. So it uh, it worked out. How long were you in the military? So I was active duty for almost eight years, and uh, I'm still currently in the guard right now. Okay, that's interesting. We can talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. At what point along the way in your career 
in the military did you go, you know what, I think I want to be a doctor? Yeah, so um, I did, uh, I worked my way into a bunch of deployments and it was always a, in, um, before the first, well, after the first deployment, I got married and I was never going to stay in the military indefinitely. So there was always like a finite time. And, uh, and uh, two years before I got out, I, before the last contract was going to end, um, I had been preparing at that point to complete, or I was working towards completing a, a business degree of some sort. I switched a couple times. I think the last one was the management information systems and I was just hating the idea of it. Um, so I came back between my third and fourth deployment was on vacation with my wife and just had a conversation. I remember on the beach, uh, you know, after deployment, it was like, I don't think I can do this degree, you know? Um, and I had this thought in my mind that I needed to get out and go right into the workforce, um, with, you know, doing something. And she said, well, you can do whatever you want. You can go back to school if you want, or, um, you don't have to go out and just and do that because you think you need to. Um, so with that, um, I entered into like two months of, well, what would I do if I could do anything kind of, kind of thinking to myself. Mm. At, and what did that thinking consist of? Lots of Google searches or oh, yeah. visualization I mean, I, stuff? <laughs> yeah, I lived on Google. So like two months back, um, we did a lot of like reset and getting ready for the, the next deployment. So there was a lot of office time, a lot of time to, you know, sit around and, you know, research things. And, um, I briefly thought about chiropractics. I mean, I hadn't thought about any of this in so long. I had just been doing the military thing and, um, and I thought about it for like a week and I was like, no, that's not, I'm not going to do that. Um, why I just have, well, I just have a different perspective on it now. Um, you know, it's without, you know, bashing on it too hard. There's a lot of like snake oils men yep. kind of selling in it. And it's, you know, it's, it's not really rooted in science. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, but what that did do, what that research did do is, um, steer me towards, uh, osteopathic schools. So, um, okay. you know, in high school I had thought like, I don't know, I think if anybody's like remotely interested in science, I think, well, yeah, I might be a doctor. Um, but that was like as far as it went for me in high school. Um, just because I didn't think I had the drive to do it. So I found about osteopathic schools. I'd never heard of them. Uh, you know, I'm raised in Texas, in Southeast Texas. And I know there's a state school in Dallas, but it was nothing I'd ever been exposed to. Um, I think that's the case for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I stumbled into that and thought, wow, um, I suppose I could do this, especially at the time it was with, they, they still honored grade replacement. Um, so I knew my grades from way back when would, would always haunt me, but with a grade replacement, I was like, well, maybe I have a shot at osteopathic schools. Yeah. So six week of that, and really without discussing with my wife at all, I just, you know, I was constantly thinking about it. Um, and it throughout the course of that fall of 2013, I said, yeah, I think I can really do this and talk myself into it. And it was about that time I found your podcast. I don't remember exactly when you started. Um, I started November of 2012. Yeah. So you had been going for a while. There was like a, a good library there for me to get started with. And I was like, man, this could, I think I could really do this. Um, and then I did one more four month deployment. So before I left, I downloaded a bunch of your podcasts to my phone and like had them stored up so that way I could... <laughs> 
you know, crushed through them. Kept you busy in the desert. Yeah. And, uh, and so I kept on doing my research and, um, like I said, I've been taking classes online, um, and refocused and made like a plan to, to get out and get in, um, in this year in 2017. And, you know, surprisingly it all fell into place and I'm on pace for what I originally started, I guess, four and a half years ago. When you made this decision, be like, you know what, I I think I want to be a doctor. And you realize like, oh, shoot, you you have to be smart and get good grades to be a doctor. (laughs) Um, Did you, was there any self-doubt to be like, oh man, I, I got a 0.67 in my, my first semester of, of school. How am I going to pull this off? Definitely. Um, so I, um, I'm definitely, I never could consider myself the smartest person in the room. Um, I, I never really worked hard. I guess the thing I was most scared of is I, I, I mean, I guess I would call myself a slacker growing up. Remember in high school, I never did any homework unless it was I had to write a paper or something. It wasn't something I could possibly get done while I was physically, you know, on campus in high school from however many, you know, s- seven hours or whatever it is. Um, and then in college, like I never worked it that hard. Even in the online classes I was taking at the time in the military, I just kind of floated through them and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do enough to get by, but I'm not going to kill myself here. Um, so it was really a combination of those grades hanging over my head and like, I better be ready to do this work, you know, and really, um, just just actual honest study habits were a thing that I was nervous about. You know what I mean? Yeah. How did how did you figure that out? Um let's see, the classes I took, the final online classes I took were just were they were nothing difficult. It was just to um satisfy whatever um you know electives, like gen ed electives I could to work towards any degree plan basically that I looked at. And then when I came back from that deployment, you know, my last um, nine months in the military, I committed to 12 hours face to face at a state school and my, my commander was great and signed off on it. So I went to school during the day and then I did night training at night and, um, and just threw myself into 12 hours, of you know, gen chem one biology one and physics one with the labs and said, you know, if you can do this and it was basically, I test myself, like if I can do this, um, then I should be fine. And it worked out great. Um, and I guess I just figured it out, the study thing, you know, when it came to applications and interviews, did your prior grades come back to haunt you at all? Uh, was it, was it brought up during your interviews? Did you have to worry about writing about it in secondaries? So I don't recall writing about it in secondaries. Um, I think it was addressed to my personal statement but as far as interviews go, it was never addressed on the interviews I attended. So um, now I do think the grades held me back from getting interviews at some schools, for sure. Um, do you remember but, what your your application GPA was? Yeah. So my cumulative undergraduate GPA was a 3.29, and then my science GPA was a 3.49. So luckily I hadn't taken too many science classes those, you know, first few semesters. So I, um, that one was relatively unscathed. That helps. And you, you mm-hmm. mentioned grade replacement. So with your application, grade replacement had gone away, right? Uh, that, so those are my AMCAS GPAs. My DO GPA or my, um, ACOMAS GPAs were, were quite a bit higher. Oh, so grade um, replacement was still around when you applied? 
Yeah. So like okay. my Comus science GPA was a 4.0. Um, okay. So, you know, since I made this decision, that decision to apply, I made one B, you know, from there then forward in like in organic too, because who doesn't? Okay. You know? So you had that very strong upward trend that we always talk about. Right. And so that in the interviews I attended uh, that, I remember, um, you know, the school I'm attending, uh, my interviewer that was supposed to address grades, um, he did bring it up. He was like, I saw you have some real, a checkered past here from many years ago, but I can only see one B in any recent history. So I don't think we need to talk about grades. And I said, okay, <laughs> that sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly it. They're like, oh, something must've happened before, or you weren't ready for school before. And now you're dedicated and look at you, you're, you're a good student. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I figured out the study thing and, and those grades, it was 70 hours of, um, you know, grades in between me deciding and me graduating and then, you yeah. know, matriculating to school. So it was a, it was a pretty good, it wasn't like just like a semester or two, I guess. So, um, you know, is the earlier you catch those mistakes, I suppose, the better. Yeah. Did you take that many credits because you needed to, or because you wanted to show a, a long track record of good grades? Yeah, I did a lot of, um, degree planning with different paths I could take. And, um, no matter which way I cut it, I figured I was, um, two years from getting out of the military in May of 2015 to, to matriculating, you know, two years later in that summer. So 2017. So with those two years, I thought the best course of action was to just pivot straight to a STEM degree. And that way I, I had to take all those extra sciences to, to graduate. It wouldn't really have saved me a whole lot of time to complete a business degree, um, which was what I was doing and I didn't like it which is the other thing we, you know, we talk about a lot when you're picking degrees yeah. before you apply to medical school is do something you like. So, um, so yeah, I had to take that many hours to graduate with a, with a degree in chemistry. Yeah. So talk about your, your journey, your, your path is non-traditional one, going to school, screwing up, going to join the military, finding yourself, wanting to be a doctor. How do you, figure out how to tell that story in your personal statement and your interviews. I, yeah, I basically went through what we just talked about, the decision of uh, deciding to apply to school all the way up to current time, um, you know, when I was applying. So, um, or the decision to, you know, work towards blind medical school up to that, that application period. So, and I mean, that's the way I went about it. The, my personal statement, I took the path, you know, the prompt is very generic is why do you want to attend medical school? I think. And so I walked them through that decision process of, um, transitioning from what I was doing in the military to, to how I think, you know, it prepared me for going to medical school mm -hmm. or made me, you know, a unique candidate in that sense. Yeah. Okay. How did you get feedback on your personal statement? Um, I believe I got really good feedback. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody mentioned it, I can only remember one school that mentioned it, like that we talked about the personal statements explicitly. And it was, um, he, you know, he said I, that I, I believe he just said I wrote really well and told a good story. So, I mean, I really jumped into the, the first paragraph of the personal statement of the introduction. I think if you remember was, I, it was really like in your face, I guess, like attention grabbing because I wanted them to, yeah, to actually read it. It's it's actually an example in my book about a great opening. 
uh, okay. the, the the personal statement book that's coming out. So you'll be you'll be famous even though your name's not in it. <laughs> <laughs> Great, <laughs> it's um, still anonymous, but it's still a good uh, opening. Yeah, with that, I mean, if you want to talk about the personal statement really quick, I, I had like a very systematic approach to getting those materials ready for the application. Yeah, talk about that. So I had um, I had a bunch of people look at the personal statement for different reasons, um, and I I bought your interview book, I think. I don't think your personal statement book was out at the time, but like yeah. your very first book was the interview book. Mm-hmm. But um, I had four or five people read the personal statement and for different reasons. I had uh, our our friend, uh, my wife's best friend that's a physician. She read it for the you know medical school content. And then everything I wrote that a school saw, I had my best buddy read. And he, he uh, works in state politics and writes policy. And he's the chief of staff now for a senator. And he... I basically had someone that was very good with, you know, the written word to, to, to read every single thing at school. So every email, um, you know, we shared a Google drive just for this and I would move things into a draft folder and he'd move it into a revised folder kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important, um, because I, I, I didn't want to lose any points in, you know, in that regard. When it came to, interviews and figuring out you mentioned the the interview book uh which is a fantastic book if i do say so myself yeah. <laughs> um what it, again it's it's hard to i think to to be able to succinctly say why you want to be a doctor but you're trying to cram in your your military history and and you you need you think you need to sell yourself on why your military history is going to make you a great doctor? How did you go about smoothing all that out? Yeah, I um, so we did a mock interview you and I before my first interview, and that really held because I made some. I, there were a couple big red flags with that mock interview where I spent too much time trying to relate the military experience to being a medical school applicant. Yeah, um, instead of saying you know, why I wanted to attend. So I really focused keenly on working with, you know, men and women overseas in like a, in a really vulnerable time and how that was important to me. And it made the job, um, special in a way. And, you know, I I really did that to where I don't think I could get that from, uh, you know, doing a business degree or working in it or anything like that. Right. And, and then also I related the, the challenges of, you know, trying to challenge myself in the military with obviously the, the, the academic rigors of, of medical school. Mm-hmm. What was the, the hardest question you faced during your interviews? <sighs> Let's see. I never had a really rough one, to be honest. Um, good. Um, yeah, I never had a, a big curveball question. There's nothing that comes to mind that was. I mean, there you can Google the really bad ones, and yep. Um, but I didn't have one that I really stumbled with. All my interviews were really conversational, um, which is I mean, the goal is to be very conversational. But you, as the interviewer, prob or the interviewee, probably allowed it to be conversational. Yeah, and you you should get a vibe from the school as to how it's, how it will be, you know, um, the schools, 
um, my current school, another state school here that I was accepted to were both very conversational. They were very upfront about it. And then at the beginning of the interview day, they told you that like 10 more times, like really, we're just trying to talk to you. It's no, <laughs> but having said that one of the MMI interviews I did was very tough and I can't remember an explicit question and I wouldn't, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you, <laughs> you signed it, I guess, NBA. anyhow. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, it's now that that was exceptionally challenging and i didn't i did interview at that school and did not get a uh offered an acceptance okay but was it a like a ethical dilemma a moral dilemma that you had to deal with yeah really that school in particular um i i felt like all the questions were ethical dilemmas like medical ethical dilemmas and the the question stems were above my level you know um like they they were to me, they seemed like ethical dilemma question stems that you would have as a exercise in medical school, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like you needed more information than you were given. And, it, you know, it was probably a point just to see how you reacted to that. But mm-hmm. um, I wasn't prepared for that one. Okay. Interesting to know. What was the most memorable interview that you had conversational wise and, and why was it so memorable for you? Yeah, the, the school I'm attending right now, the first interview I had um, well, actually, both interviews I had were with were with attendings that were formerly in the military. So that was unique, um, and I don't think that was by accident. So that the first interview I had was um, just really, really conversational, and he related to what I did in the military. I actually asked him that five or ten minutes into the interview if he was an EOD tech because he knew like lots of things that I was talking about. And <laughs> um, I thought that would be really unique. And was but he? He was not, no, but he was a general surgeon in the Navy and had worked with some Navy EOD techs and we all go to the same school. So, um, but he, um, it was just really conversational and we got to talk about, I got to flush out everything I wanted to have him hear and it lasted a, a full 60 minutes almost, over an hour, almost, I believe. Um, and I was, you know, given the opportunity, it was my number one choice and it's the school I'm at now. And I was given the opportunity at the end to bring it, you know, all the way back around and, you know, be very upfront with him that this is the place that I really wanted to attend. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You mentioned the, how the interviewers, had prior military experience and how that wasn't by accident. And I I don't talk about that a lot. Uh, I don't think I've ever talked about it at all, but that, that is something that schools will try to do. They'll look at your experiences. They'll look at your past and see who on their admissions committee and uh, on their roster of interviewers matches up with you and your talents, your research, whatever it may be, and try to pair you two together, obviously based on availability of the interviewer. But I think it, it makes it a much more personal interview for that. Yeah, it was great. And he was, if I, you know, if I could think back to the whole cycle, he was definitely the most prepared to, um, he actually had my, in all contrast this with the second interviewer, he, the first interviewer had my whole application and it, the interview was at like nine in the morning. We got there at seven thirty or eight. And he had the whole application on his laptop. It was obvious that he was scrolling through it, but he had already read through it thoroughly and took a full page of notes, like almost front and back, like in, in random scribble. Um, (laughs) And where um, the second interviewer, 
obviously didn't have time to to read through the application. Like, and I understand he's he's a chair of a department, and I'm sure he's super busy. And it wasn't like I took offense to it. It was just very obvious to me that the when he was opening the application in front of me, it was the first time he had laid eyes on it, had the opportunity to. I love um, that, but that comment because I tell students all the time, even though it's an open interview, doesn't mean they've looked at your stuff. No, I no, and you know it. Um, and I've had I had a few interviews that were that were like that as well. Um, I had yeah my very my second interview at my second school, um, he also was late and, you know, had gotten caught, caught in traffic coming from a clinic. So he, um, you know, was open. It's like, I haven't had a chance to read this. So we'll just do a close interview. Yeah. And I'll read it afterwards. But, um, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. So that was two were supposed to be open interviews and they were, you know, polar opposites. How did, how did you handle that? Um, <laughs> so it worked out. I mean, it worked out fine because he, he went through and saw that I was in the military, then asked me about that and then asked about what I did. And I mean, I guess his, he was, he's a pediatrician or neonatologist and, um, his experience in the military was very different and, um, he was blown away and then just basically closed the, the interview was basically over after five minutes and we talked for 45 minutes about nothing medical school related or the application. It's the best, the best interview. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's that great. Yeah. So looking back on, on your journey, besides obviously not doing well, your, your first attempt at school, what are some of the, the mistakes that you made a- along the way? I would say, um, I would have liked to have, a higher MCAT. I mean, I'm, I'm where I wanted to be. So it, it was fine. If I had a higher MCAT, I think I would have had a little bit less stress, um, going into the application cycle, which is, I mean, it's more stressful than I thought it would be, I suppose. In what I way? Thought what I, I guess I thought once I got to that point of the MCAT was over and I took it, you know, second week of May going into the applying that summer. And I thought once the MCAT was over and I had the test back, like it would be, you know, it'd be on the downhill and putting together the applications just stressed me out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I wasn't really prepared for that. But with the MCAT thing, um, it would be great if I had to go back and, you know, start back again at that point um, to find like a partner in crime to share the suffering with because the MCAT can be a lonely time, a really lonely time. So I didn't know anybody at my school that was taking the MCAT at the same time and applying at the same time as me. Okay. So we kind of just went down that road alone. Yeah, that helps. That's why I have MCATstudygroups.com where you can sign up and we'll we'll hook you up with people that are taking the MCAT the same time you are. Yeah, and that would be great. And (laughs) like I did a Kaplan course. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't know. I I don't know if I would do it again. Um, I'm not sure what I would do. If I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't, I don't know. It's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, don't spend $2,000 in the Kaplan course, but, um, I don't know. We were, we had like a group in there, but it wasn't, it was kind of a distant thing. It'd be great if you could find like what you said, if you had like-minded people that were looking to share the experience, like when you go to sign up for the Kaplan course, you aren't like 
necessarily looking to, and I did the online version, the distance one, mm. but you want like the people signing up for that aren't necessarily looking to have like study mates. Yeah. Um, but that would be, that's one of the best things about medical school for me as a non-traditional student is like, is the shared suffering. Like I have a, a <laughs> it's pretty a community. close, yeah. Like I have a pretty close group of like six to eight friends that were, you know, we, we talk every day about what we're doing and uh, study, you know, even if it's just in the same room and we're not talking to each other in a group study, um, it's way better that way. Yeah. You applied to a lot of schools and that was one thing you had mentioned before to me about what you would do different. Yes, I would. Yeah, I would not do that again. <laughs> Why did you apply to so many schools? Um, so my original list was at 14, I believe, which was a healthy number. So I got the MCAT score back was putting together applications and I was working that summer, um, away from home. And it was a combination of having time and money to burn and like basically time to sit there and sweat about it and, and have terrible, terrible thoughts about like, what if none of this works out? And you know, I could just add these schools in this school and the number got up to 29, I think. Yeah. And I finished secondaries at 27 and it's just, at the end of the day, the fourteen, the original fourteen schools I applied to, I got you know, interview invites at like ten of them, and I should have just stayed with that number because those fourteen were always going to be at the top of my list, anyways. How did you figure out those fourteen to apply to? Map a map. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I found a map of all the schools um, in the U.S. I forget where the map is, but um. Yeah, it basically had all the schools on a uh, like overlaid on a Google map, mm-hmm. and I mapped out the ones that are closest to to Nashville, to Tennessee. Okay, so location, which is one of the biggest reasons I tell people to pick schools. Where where do you want to live? Right. Yeah. So I picked. I you know I instantly grouped in all the schools that were roughly four within four hours away, um, and excluded some of them, like Wash U. Um, that school is not for me, especially with my academic history, right? So we can r- safely rule out some of those schools. Um, well, well, why do you say that? I'll challenge you on that. Why do you say that? So I believe Washington University is is one of has like one of the highest. It does uh, entering class. Yeah, it does. And but that doesn't I mean know. you can't get in. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it, it maybe would have been worth a dart throw. Like Vanderbilt's pretty high up there too, and I obviously applied to Vanderbilt because I'm, uh, you know, I was in Nashville. But, yeah. um, it, yeah, I mean, I guess since I applied to all those other, all those other schools, it may have been worth a shot. <laughs> it's um, just another 36 bucks or 37 right. bucks added to the list. <laughs> but, but I, I challenged you on it because a lot of students will look at that and go, oh, there's, there's no way, but your former military, former EOD have this awesome, uh, background, awesome story of, of doing poorly in school to begin with. And now getting almost a 4.0 afterwards. You don't know what the school is looking for to build their class. And yes, their averages are ridiculously high, but 50% of the class is below that average. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, I guess I just, I mean, I thought that, I mean, <laughs> positive thinking got me to the application with Vanderbilt that way, yeah. but um, I didn't think Wash U was. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I guess the Vanderbilt thing, I also had the, which Vanderbilt doesn't have any uh, regional preference, but yeah, uh, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, it worked out for you. Talk about the the post interview process. How how did that go? How stressful was that? What did you do during that time? It's terrible. <laughs> it's not fun. I so having said that, I was really fortunate and got um, some very quick interviews, and um, it was a weird cycle. So I got very quick interviews, and then a few very fast um, do acceptances. And so I interviewed, my first interview was the very end of August. So like very yeah. early. Um, and then I had an acceptance, I think a week later to that school. Wow. Um, which was great. Like it took a ton of stress off, but that school also wasn't one of the ones within four hours. So it was, um, in Florida. So quite far away. <laughs> okay. Um, but I mean, I, I applied there, you know, every school I applied to was like, I, I can go here and we, we can make it work um, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so that was great. And then it was a, it was a blur of doing like six interviews in four weeks. And then after that, there were no more interviews. Um, I mean, I turned down some other deal interviews after I got into the ones I had, you know, ranked higher on my little list. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, there was um, no news. And one of like my, my second highest school on my list was, um, the school I interviewed at second and I didn't hear from them at all until February. So that was a long time to, to wait. Did you in that interim reach out to them, send them updates? What, what, what did you do in that interim? I did. I sent them a letter, um, at you know i got waitlisted and i sent them a letter in december after the fall uh grades came out just so that way i had something to attach with it and said look i would still very much like to attend and um here are my fall grades have a great christmas i suppose it was something (laughs) like that you know it was just an email uh i believe the way i did it too just like i get picky about formats i wrote the letter um in a word document and then saved it as a PDF Mm -hmm. with like the grades attached, like with like a formal attachment. And so one PDF and then sent them an email saying, you know, I just have a letter of, you know, interest or an an update letter attached. Yeah. And every school is a little bit different with how they want that stuff sent to them. So. Yeah. I think I called beforehand, but um, yeah. yeah. And then you got even later news. (laughs) What, what were you thinking getting, when was the the last interview that you got? Um, the first week of April. <laughs> Did you so think that the cycle was over by then, and and you were you were picked where you wanted to go? Yeah, so I'm guilty here of using Student Doctor Network for <laughs> for a few things. One of which is the school specific threads for interviews or application season. So, <laughs> um. I had heard, you know, and obviously I've like, and I think most people do this, especially if they're listening to this podcast, go like, can go way down the rabbit hole of like researching things. So, um, I had done my research and I had heard that if you get a secondary to this school, the state school, um, you will get an interview invite. Um, it's the way that like they screen the second, but before they do secondary and the secondary is merely just, there's no money involved. It's just like more information in a headshot. They want like a picture. Okay. 
Um, so I did that in August. Wow. Um, and then didn't hear anything. So I had um, the acceptance to this other school, which was, you know, very high up there. And I was super happy about just like on cloud nine for months. Um, but this school would be better for several reasons and um, for me. And my wife finally talked me into sending them an email in the middle of March. Like, just just send them an email and ask. You know what I mean? And uh, so I sent them an email. And I think I attached my fall grades to that email, too, like in March. <laughs> yeah. But um, she, the lady emailed me, like, the um, one of the assistants in the admissions office emailed me back. And she was super nice. She's like, yeah, we're going to send you an, in, an invite next week. I just don't have the exact day for you yet. I was like, really? <laughs> and then... Um, and then we got it. So it's still this day, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I still have like debates with Shannon about that, like whether or not um, that was because of the email or I really was going to get that late interview invite. But <laughs> the, the um, biggest yeah. question is, were you the only one interviewing that day? No. Okay. No. There were, yeah, they had a full day that, that week and then they had like two more days, um, the following week and that was it. So it was like the third to last interview day perhaps. Oh wow. So they're late, late interviewers. Right. And I got the acceptance a month later. Um, like basically the same day people were saying like this school does like rank li- or waitlist rankings as well. Once oh. it comes to like after May, so you know where you're at on the list kind of thing. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that though? Because the the acceptance is so late, you need to start getting life in order of where are you living and and when right. are you moving and all of that stuff. How do, how do you deal with that stress? Yeah, I mean, I wasted a lot of time looking at like apartments and all that kind of stuff at the other place, <laughs> at the other school. Um, but when I got this one, it's I mean, it's great. So um, my wife's best friend that looked over. You know, she was kind of I mentioned her in my personal statement and, you know, she started I'm 30 and I started school this year. Um, she was 30 when she started medical school. So and she went here and did residency here. So so for here, it was fine from I mean, I have like a unique situation because I'm I'm basically just living in her house. Nice. So it was like so I moved over here the day before school started, like the afternoon, like drove the three hours over here and uh brought my clothes and my computer and that was pretty much it that's awesome how's medical school going it's great i mean um it's exciting i guess maybe exciting isn't like the perfect (laughs) word for your first semester um it's it, it there was an adjustment period for sure uh the first six weeks i was not comfortable um just with the combination of the workload and how i was performing in class um, or in, on the exams. So, um, but it took me six weeks to get comfortable with the grind is what I call it. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to, I, they could maybe kick me out at this point. So <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you know about being a first year now that you wish you knew a year ago? Hmm. It's, I mean, all this stuff that people talk about with like the time crunch and all this stuff, it's true. It's just hard to wrap your head around. It doesn't matter. You know, I came in here the first exam. I was doing 60 hour weeks of honest class and study time, and it just wasn't enough. Um, It was enough time for me. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know anybody that's just skating by with, um, 
you know, I'm right in the middle of the pack. Like I'm a few raw points, like a, like a couple off every exam of, of the mean in the class because we get feedback in that way on our exam results. So I'm right in the middle of the pack. And my buddy that has, you know, he's in the 99th percentile on all the exams. It's wild in every subject. Um, I mean, he puts in the same amount of time. He just is better at memorizing than I am, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you should listen to the memorizing podcast that uh, came out the week before this one's going to come out. <laughs> is it on? Is it in? Is it on this thread of podcasts? It's I guess? in the pre-med years. It will be. Right. Yeah. Okay. As I'm we're recording this, it ha- it's not out yet. But uh, okay. When, I'll keep an eye. On that. When this comes out, it'll be out the week before. Yeah. <laughs> be a good one. I'll send it to you early. Be our little okay. secret. Um, that's awesome. And congratulations on all your success and, and thank you for your service. We were recording this um, just after Veterans Day. You talked about being in the guard. Let's, I, w- I want to briefly talk about that because a lot of students email me and ask about being in the guard and being in medical school at the same time. How have you been able to make that work? Yeah, so it's hard. Um, I, would, I would say this, just preface this because um, with people – you know, with, with guys or girls that are getting out of the army and thinking of, or, you know, whatever service and thinking about the guard, um, I would recommend it. It was great for me. Everybody's experience is different. Um, but, um, you know, I've done it for, so currently though, I'm not in a medical student slot. So the guard has, um, MOSs you can commission to be a medical student officer, I believe is the title in the guard. Mm -hmm. So I still have my application in for that and I'm trying to push it through to get, um, to get commissioned because I'm still enlisted right now. Um, so I don't have a lot to, to say about that in regards to how the units actually work. Um, but the recruiters have said they're very flexible with their time. And I mean, it is a weekend, uh, you know, you have to be there many weekends, but I believe they give you time to study basically because there's nothing you're licensed to do in the guard as a medical student, you know? Yeah. So you're still drilling and, and stuff on weekends? Yeah. So before I came to school, I I did some extra work in the summer to like drill ahead somewhat this fall. So I have enough time for the year. I have done two drills down there on the weekends, um, but they've been really good to me and like released me for most of our responsibilities because I'm uh, still a platoon sergeant in the EOD unit. So there's a lot of training planning and all that kind of stuff that goes into it. Yeah. But um, they've mostly released me from that. It's tough. I, so I'll say this. I don't know that I could continue um, to be in the guard enlisted and not be in that program, right? Not to be in a medical student slot. Yeah. Um, and I have a buddy in school that's in the guard as a medical services officer, and he's a first year student with me. And he's also trying to transition to that medical student slot. And I don't think he'd be able to continue to do what his current job is, you know, um, why, why stay in the guard? So for me, it's, um, I have 10 years in service now. Um, and the retirement is definitely not the same thing, but it's also, um, a lot of it's for health insurance reasons. So I'm married, we don't have any kids, but still just for the two of us, it's, it's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to try in the fourth year to do some of those, electives maybe one where you can do like a military elective through the guard just for like a different experience yeah that'd be fun too i mean that's not the reason i'm staying in right now and doing all these years of it but <laughs> any hopes um, of going and being active duty doc i'm not going to go active um 
at least I have no plans to. I do have a buddy in school that was in the army for eight years, and I think he's been in the guard for five, and he just signed the packet. He just took the scholarship to um, go back to actives when he's finished, like two mm-hmm. weeks ago. Wow. Um, but I'm currently using the GI Bill, so I guess I could talk about that really briefly. Um, yeah. So I'm at a state school and it's 100% tuition and I still get the the housing allowance as well. Wow. Um, And it's for three years. It's not all four, is it? It's for, yeah. So it's for 36 months and I came to school with 32 months remaining. I used one month of it or one semester of it last fall when I was applying. Um, So in undergrad, I'm transitioning out of the military. I went to the cheapest state school possible. And it was also the closest one to my house. So I went to school like a mile from our house. And I used tuition assistance from the guard. Yep. So for one semester for like 16 hours. And then, which covered all of it except the fees. And then the next semester, I just paid out of pocket. And we did what we had to to make that happen. And so that way I could save for the medical school tuition. It's a great, great perk. I still have my GI benefits and I don't know what I'm going to do with them because I don't need it for school anymore. Right. Uh, Yeah. I guess I don't know if you can sign them over to your... I cannot. I was not in long enough to to transfer them. But that's my dilemma. Maybe when you find some free time, (laughs) you will go back and do something wild. (laughs) What can you say to a student who's been in your situation uh, or who is in a situation that you've been in before failing out of school um, or dropping out after, after doing poorly um, to begin with and is, has now realized they want to be a physician. What do you, what do you say to them, to him or her to to motivate them to figure it out and to keep pushing forward? You, you need to figure out why you're, why you were messing up in the first place. For me, I just had no drive to be like, I didn't want to be in class. So it's a lot easier to do really well in school when you want to be there. Um, so that would be one thing is to figure out why you were messing up in the first place. Um, you know, looking back, college is not that difficult if, you know, if you actually put in the honest amount of work that it takes. Um, so I would, I would start there. Um, and also that, you you can fix that you know obviously it worked out for me you can you can fix that in the grades the first grades were never brought up on any uh interview like we talked about if you can establish that path of doing of doing really well in school then um or that history of doing really well in school then it can work out for you and if you're coming from the military it just makes it i mean it really does make it that much easier it's it it is you know i know i got interviews like i got the interview at this school i know because I, um, because I was in the military, I believe. So it definitely helps. All right. There you have it. Again, that was Dylan on his journey from being a pre-med to now a medical student. Hopefully you were able to learn a little bit from Dylan's journey. That's the goal of this podcast is to tell the stories of students who have gone down this path, who have struggled with things, who have failed with things to help you not only learn from their mistakes, but also realize that you don't have to be perfect and realize that there are pre-meds out there like you who are doing amazing things, getting into medical school, and then going on to being physicians. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. (laughs) 